1: Welcome back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. It was originally inspired by the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years and now complements the work that I do at Insignium, a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but first, a thank you to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. If you don't know them, they are the leading locally focused job board in the nation and are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Great partnership. Last week, we were on the air with Todd Laments, who is a corporate trainer and motivational speaker and the author of Lose Your Ego, Gain the World. We talked about his life journey full of twists and turns, including what he learned about getting fired from his very own company that he founded, Very Down to Earth Young Man, and also talked about how to eliminate negativity from the workplace. For this week's conversation, with me is Dr. Sam Ali Brando, who is a psychologist, author, speaker, teacher, workshop facilitator, collaborative mediator, organizational consultant, and executive coach. He is also the author of The Three Dimensions of Emotions, Finding the Balance of Power, Heart, and Mindfulness in All of Your Relationships, which we'll spend most of the time speaking about today in the show. He joins us today from Pasadena, California. Dr. Ali Brando, it's great to have you with me. Welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: And It's great to be with you, too.
1: I want to tell my listeners that, of course, I found you on Twitter, where I've been finding some of my more fun guests, so thank you again for being willing to be caught on Twitter. Thank you.
2: It's one of the better catches.
1: (laughs) Good, good, good. (laughs) Um, Well, to get us started here, I always like to help our listeners understand a bit about your background, where you came from. So you've got quite a distinguished long career in what you've done, but can you sketch for us a bit about your professional background, and why you chose the career that you did. Why are you doing what you're doing?
2: Sure. Um, When I was a young boy, I wanted to be a priest, grew Mm -hmm. up in a Catholic family, and that lasted until somewhere about a half a month or half a month into puberty, and then I wasn't interested anymore, so I had to find (laughs) something else.
1: I wonder Um, why. Okay.
2: (laughs) uh, But I... um, it was it was an evolution for me, but I eventually went through and became a, a psychologist, um, and it's it's who I am. I'm I'm very fortunate, and, and any of us are fortunate when we find that spot where we can fulfill ourselves in our career. Uh, the there's something wonderful about that, and I, I'm very grateful. Uh, I have. Um, I, have, I got a master's degree in Chicago area, practiced for a little bit, and I got good enough at what I was doing to realize how bad I was, um, and then went on for my doctorate out here in California, did my doctoral internship at, uh, in Pasadena at a place called Fuller. They have a school of psychology, and I uh, ended up staying here with my family. So, um, I, My first part of my career was mostly clinical. But then when I was at Fuller, they hired me to run their outpatient clinics after I got my doctorate. And I, what I realized is how much I really enjoyed the whole idea of leadership and teams and how much I didn't enjoy actually being the person leading them. But I found it very fascinating, and that was the beginning of when I started doing organizational consulting. Started out as an executive coach and then later on moved into other areas, as you're familiar with, in organizational consulting, such as team selection and things like that. Mm. So and then um, and then had this model that's been churning around in my head since my first master, so it's been almost thirty five years that I've been working on this model. I embedded it in my first book, uh, Follow the Yellow brick Road, um, and then had a chance recently to put everything down into one book. Uh, the whole model in uh, the new book, The Three Dimensions of Emotion book. And that's what we're here for.
1: Okay, cool. Well, a couple of things I got to say really quick. Um, first, I love what you said about when you said the field that you're in, it's who I am. And the reason that clicks for me is that the research that I've been doing around meaning and work, I wanted to investigate how people experience meaning in their work and how it related to their sense of self or their identity, how they think about themselves. And so when you say that to me, what I get from that is it's kind of like almost inseparable from who you are. It is you and and, and you're it. And when I talk to people who experience work on that level, it's usually pretty satisfying. And they're the same people inside and outside work. And what you see is what you get. And there's an off, usually there's a, and which is what I get in you too, a huge element of authenticity that just oozes through. Does that at all resonate for you?
2: Absolutely. And the energy that comes with that, the energy that comes with, when you, when you're firing in the sweet spot, as I like to call it, uh, you, you get that natural energy um, that is so rewarding and fulfilling, and you know, and, and I and I think of people who have other types of jobs, but you can get it there too, because our job is sometimes just a framework. Who we are in that job is who is what really ends up becoming important.
1: Um, mm. So, I completely agree, and I also what I also find that is the p- people that. Experience work on the level that you're talking about, which there's an inseparability piece to it. Um, they are, they do put a lot of energy into their work and they are usually quite engaged in their work. It's just yeah. would be hard not to be, right? Yeah. Um, so that all jives with the research that I've been doing. And then the other thing I wanted to pass on to you, which I know you probably already know and probably get feedback on, but and maybe it's related just to how I experience you as an authentic person, it's just really easy to connect with you. I'm, ex- I'm sure your audiences feel the same. Do, do you often get that kind of feedback?
2: Uh, if if I can do this with some degree of humility, yes, uh, it's very gratifying. But yes, people do give me that feedback.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I, it's... I think
2: that's again part of, of who who I am too. And so mm-hmm. again, fulfilling, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. uh, you know some people have they're, they're, they they are enlivened by find by doing research and finding out how something works, right? And I I, I get it by connecting with people
1: mm -hmm. That's blatantly obvious. I love it. (laughs) Um, Well, I I wanted to chat with you about this model. I think, uh, see, for me, I've been investigating that research that I've been talking about, meaning and work and identity for 15 years. To be working on a model for 35 years, like you have, seems to me to be just beyond incredible. So I'd love to understand how did you come to investigate the material and why? I mean, it must be important to you to spend 35 years at it.
2: Sure. I'd be happy to talk about it. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. When when I was, a, I would have been in my early 20s, I guess, uh, when I got my first master's. And um, uh, I came across the work of a woman named Karen Horneye. Um, oh, yeah, I
1: know her. You you bet.
2: Yeah, she's great. I mean, she she wrote um, somewhere in the middle of the 20th century. And I think all of her books are still in print, which is uh, says a lot about her. And the book in particular was called Our Inner Conflicts. And in that book, she says, we all have inner conflicts, and we, we resolve them interpersonally very often. And she says we resolve them in one of three ways. We resolve it by moving against people, by moving toward people, or by moving away from people. Mm. And I, that caught my imagination immediately. I loved it because it was simple, but it was very comprehensive. I couldn't think of very many other ways that we didn't interpersonally move. Now when she, her model is predominantly a negative ways we move to resolve these conflicts. So if we move against, we're a bully or we criticize other people. If we move toward, we sell our soul to other people. We, we, we're codependent, right? We're enablers. And then if we move away, we, we emotionally uh, disconnect. But, uh, but it became apparent that those aren't just negative. They are also the positive ways we move and when I, when I uh, and so I, I caught my attention, I would use it as a new therapist, and whenever I had a chance to speak because I, I love speaking, one of my favorite things I do is facilitate workshops um, and then when I went on to graduate school for my for my doctorate, uh, I came across the work of a, a man named Wilford Beyond. and not many people have ever heard of him um, and and he said that we connect to other people. In one of three ways, we connect through love, through hate, or through knowing. Um, and I said, "And I said, huh? I know somebody else who has three things. Now, wait a minute. Love is very similar to moving toward, and um, hate uh, is like moving against. And I, I people hate the word hate, so I, I changed it to power um, in, in the book, uh, but." And then to know something, you have to be able to move away from it. So here's two remarkable people asking a different question and seemingly independent of each other, kind of were talking about the same three things. And, I, and that was what, the birth of what I call the interpersonal triangle. Uh, and I use a triangle because even though they're discrete, they're really different from each other, they're still interconnected. So thus I use a triangle to symbolize that. And then I began to see these three in many, many different places. For example, if you remember from biology uh, 101, the three ways an organism protects itself. It's fight, flight, or freeze and appease. Mm -hmm. And those are the three movements. Fight is moving against, flight is moving away, and freeze and appease uh, is when you, as I say, if they're bigger than you but you can't leave then you freeze or appease. And so, and later on, and and if it's of interest, I could tell you even some empirical support for it, but theoretically, that was the foundation. Um, And then there's a gentleman named Elias Porter, he he developed a test called the Strength Deployment Inventory, which is probably one of the more popular assessments or tests that is used in organizations. And he said there's three ways we are motivated relationally, through altruism, through analysis, or through, um, like, uh, what would you call it? Um, assertiveness, he calls it. And, and once again, there's the same three. So, um, and that all reinforced this idea of, of this model. So I, I would teach it. I would use it with clients. When I started doing organizational consulting, I would use it in my coaching. And... Um, one day I w- realized, I go, uh, something that I thought was kind of fascinating, so the next time I had a, uh, a lecture to give, I, I mentioned in passing that Dorothy's three companions uh, represent the three movements. Uh, Lion, who wanted to be king of the forest, was moving against, or power. Tin Man, who wanted a heart. Uh, would be moving toward and then and then scarecrow who wanted a uh, brain was moving away or knowing beyond knowing and I in my book I call it mindfulness Um and it was so funny because I mentioned that just in passing, and normally after I give a talk, maybe one or two people might come up after and we chat. This, time, this day there was a line, and all they wanted to talk about was The Wizard of Oz. So that was the, the birth of my first book, uh, Follow the Yellow Brick Road, How to Change for the Better When Life Gives You Its Worse. Um, so I, and I think in, in terms of that, I, I don't see The Wizard of Oz as a children's story. I see it as an American mythology and I believe Frank Baum was in touch with the idea so that Dorothy's journey was, at first, the three, three people, uh, the three characters, are in their worst position. Uh, if you remember how nasty the lion was. And by the end of the story, she integrated them all in their positive position. And that was her, her journey as a girl becoming a woman. That was her job, was to integrate those three parts of herself. So anyway, that's some of the journey that I had uh, around the development of this model.
1: Mm, I loved every single last moment of that. Dr. Ali Brando. That was fantastic. I, I I, am very compelled by the world of ideas. The way you stitched all those things together is certainly interesting to me. And I know any of the listeners that have any inkling around conceptual interests, et cetera, and ideological exploration will have loved that. And the rest of us who just, right, who just like to be able to see how ideas fit together will, I think, really appreciate that. So thank you for that narration. It was way more than what I expected and it makes me happy. So thank you.
2: Good. I, I hope I didn't... Uh, Take up too much space there?
1: No, it was just what I was hoping for. To be able to to lay the groundwork for how an author conceptualizes his or her work like that is a real gift, right? And you did it in a very crisp way and in a complete way. So, no, that was fantastic.
2: What I got to do in the book was something I've always wanted to do, and that was to do a deep dive. Uh, So I've written before about it in articles and things, but I really wanted to do a deep dive. And one of my favorite parts of the book is the middle section where I take a chapter on each of the three movements and talk about the essential aspects of being human in all of those. Uh, For example, moving against is divergent. It's, Mm. It's how we separate ourselves from other people and the oh I forgot to tell you this is really important in the three dimensions right uh, this is like there's three dimensions of the physical world height would be like power in this dimension and width would be the love or heart dimension and then the depth would be the knowing or the mindfulness dimension Uh, people kind of got tripped up by the words sometimes and so I color coded them. I thought, the th- what are the three primary colors? Are the three primary ways we move? So I gave red to moving against, and I gave blue to heart, moving toward, and I gave yellow to moving away. Um, so I was, uh, um, I, and so I, I, in the book, I had a chance to do a deep dive into each of the dimensions. So, for example, like I was saying, the red, the, uh, moving against, is divergent. It's us versus them. It, orientation is around the self. The moving toward part of us, however, is convergent. It's where we merge, uh, where we, we are uh, empathic and we connect with others. And then, interestingly, the yellow is neither. It's, it's the part of us that's almost uniquely human, it seems, uh, the ability to step back and observe Uh, and watch, and be present as an observer, right? Uh, And that's the scientific function part of this. So I had a chance to do a chapter on each one of those, which is really very fulfilling for me.
1: You know, and it's obvious. I could tell that it was fulfilling as I read through the book. I could tell that. And I could, you know, what's great about being able to read a book like that and the way you've written it is that you are in there, and it was clear that you were having fun and enjoying the moment of being able to share this with us. And After 35 years, you've got a lot to say, right? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's do this. We're, we're right up here for a quick break here. This would be a good time to, to segment here before we get into the next piece I want to get into is really talking about how to stay our best selves and getting back in a balance when we're out of kilter. So let's go ahead and take our, our first break now. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Dr. Sam Alibrando, who is a psychologist, author, speaker, teacher, workshop facilitator, collaborative mediator, organizational consultant, and executive coach. He is also the author Author of The Three Dimensions of Emotions Finding the Balance of Power, Heart, and Mindfulness in All Your Relationships. He joins us today from Pasadena, California. Stay with us, we'll be right back.
0: Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment.
1: Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power.
0: It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A L I S E at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to working on purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Sam Alibrando, who is a psychologist, author, speaker, teacher, workshop facilitator, collaborative mediator, organizational consultant, and executive coach. He is also the author of The Three Dimensions of Emotions, Finding the Balance of Power, Heart, and Mindfulness in All Your Relationships. He has worked on the three-dimensional model we've been talking about um, over the last 35 years and has taught it to thousands of people. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So just before the break, you were talking a bit about, you're helping us really understand those those three dimensions that you've been able to weave across various perspectives. And one of the things that I wanted to say as we get into this next segment here is, as I was reading your book and I looked at those three different colors that you talked about in terms of movement, how we tend to move, I wondered, am I red? Am I yellow? Am I blue? So the question I guess I want to start off with is, can we be different can we be different colors in different scenarios?
2: Absolutely. In fact, we are all three. Uh, we, even the most red person still has some other elements. But uh, the thing that is hard for me even now to keep reminding myself that this is not a personality model. It's, it's a behavioral, descript, it's a descriptive model of how we relationally behave, and we will behave differently at different times in different contexts. Um, uh, like I say, even a bunny rabbit will bite uh, if, if you corner them. So we, we are capable of doing all three. I think we have proclivities towards uh, that. Uh, I mean, I have, I have two children. Uh, if I had four, they would all be different. My daughter's very moving toward. My son's moving away. And again, I'm tempted to make it into a personality. But the, the truth is, we can be different in different situations depending on the context. Uh, for example, with my, my, my wife, who's very, very blue, I tend to be more orange, which is a blend of red and, and yellow. Uh, and the truth is, she's probably more green and so and then when I get around uh being in California I, I know you know some people who are actors and they're very powerful personalities and I tend to get blue around them. I tend to get my wife will tell me I'm like a little puppy dog when I get around people like that. <laughs> so we, we do shift and move around uh as well. And and then when we get out of balance we usually favor one and then that doesn't work, we move to another. Um so and, and that's why I, when I, I have a little test called the Interpersonal Triangle Inventory, which, by the way, is free for anybody who wants to take it on my website, and I ask people to specify the context. This is regarding my spouse, or this is regarding my employer, or this is regarding my mother-in-law. Um, and because we are going to be different in different situations.
1: Okay, that makes a lot more sense to me because I, I think about certain people that I'm connected to. Like I'm different at work with, with regard to how I interact with people. I'm different with my students at SMU. I'm different with my daughter. You know, I'm different with 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 close friends. And so that's what made me think of that question. Yep. So thank you for that. Okay, context, yep. got it. Yep. Okay. Um, well, the next thing I wanted to talk about, when you and I spoke on the phone, when after I found you and and and, and, and cast my line out to you on Twitter to see if you would come and, and be, be a guest on the show, we had a quick phone call and one of the things that you mentioned on the phone was this notion of negative power. So yes. what is negative power, and how does that show up for us?
2: Each each of the movements can be negative. And by that, it, it, but I mean it has a negative effect. It, it, it compromises communication. It, it has hurtful results. And so a negative power would be, again, the red the red or power um dimension is about the self it's a psychological orientation is around the self so the and about agency and our power in, in our own lives and so when we have negative a uh, red it it is people who are mean people who are critis- critical um uh, uh, the 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 person who uh, i tell a story about a a, a clinical client whose wife um was a big very very uh, um, successful businesswoman, and one day she lost a big client and she came home and he made a beautiful meal for her to try to console her and As soon as she walked in the door, she looked on the table and saw her mother's silver and she says, "You idiot, I can't believe you put my mother's silver out right she what she couldn't do was come home and say, "Oh my god, I'm so scared or I'm sad that I lost." Um so she went red, and it was negative red. And she went negative red because she do, couldn't do positive blue. Uh, she couldn't come home and say, oh, that is so sweet. You did this for me. I, I'm really sad I lost this client. Right? She, that wasn't... So in, because she couldn't do the positive blue, she did the negative, re, uh, negative red. And negative red is, is all the isms, all the, the sexism, racism... It's all of the, when we become critical of other people, we lose our temper. Uh, Those are, that's the negative red.
1: Got it. Um, Okay, that is so incredibly helpful to be able to apply this stuff because before we were talking from really a conceptual place, right? Now to be able to talk about it from how do we actually apply this and see it showing up in our real lives, beautiful. Um, so you started to say something about the positive power side of things. So I heard you say that red is about self and agency, the negative side gets mean and critical. So what's the positive power piece then? Positive
2: is, is, is the, is when we, we are proactive about getting our own needs met. It's about setting boundaries with people. It's, it's about, um, determination and competitiveness, healthy competitiveness it's the part of us that's, that has a drive. It's a part of us. Here's a big one, is being candid. The, the, we just celebrated Martin Luther King Day. He, he was a man who, who was a prophetic person in that he told the truth as he knew it. And that was that's red. Whenever we tell the truth, whether a person wants to hear it or not. So that's the positive red. Um, and... Uh, and a lot of people confuse the two. They can't tell the difference. I call that being confounded. Each movement, you can get, be, you can get confounded between what's the positive version of it and the negative version of it.
1: Mm. I love this conversation. This, is, this, this falls into the category of yummy for me, by the <laughs> way. Um, <laughs> so when I listen to you talk about this and I think about the work that both you and I do in executive coaching, right? So much of what we do, at least I can speak for myself, is helping people hold up a mirror to themselves and see what they look like and how they're interacting yep. and behaving and affecting other people. And so it strikes me that we just may not be at all aware sometimes of how we're showing up, how we're behaving,
2: Yes. Oh gosh, sometimes we're the last person to know what's really happening because we all have we we have we have blind spots. We have uh in my book I talk about ego, right? The, the 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 part of the the psyche that protects itself at all costs. Even the cost to reality. So we we have we have we all have blind spots. So sometimes we don't we're we're sometimes the last person to know what's actually happening. That's why what we do uh, one of the most important things we do, especially with executives, is to tell them the emperor doesn't have clothes. Right? We need, right. To, uh, and most people, employees, aren't going to tell the boss that. So that's one thing we do, and that's a red thing that we do when we when we tell them that. We you know we do the we do the assessments and we do the three sixties and we do the the interviews, and then we bring it back to the executive and saying, "This is how people experience you," and a lot of times. They don't know that because of, of, of those blind spots or the stories we tell about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that can be positive gra- or negative. Sometimes it's obvious that sometimes they, they really mistreat people, but they don't think they do. They, they'll call it being strong, but they're really mistreating people. Mm-hmm. Um, but other times people, uh, they're, they're way better than they think they are. Uh, and, and that's also news as well to them. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I grab, more often the other one, the first one, but,
1: yeah. right. I am totally with you, which is why we still have work, right? <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> um, I gotta grab something real quick for, for the people listening on the phone who are leaders or managers or executives. Um, just let's treat this real quick. Why won't people speak up to them and tell them what they that the emperor doesn't have any clothes on?
2: Well, there. Sometimes it's it's because there are real threats. If if some people who have the big ego more, are more uh, red, negative red, more narcissistic, uh, they will take offense and they'll, and they'll be vengeful. They'll, they'll, uh, they, they may make life hard for them and possibly even fire them. So there, there's sometimes a real fear. And sometimes, uh, be, depending on the culture, uh, there's a whole narrative in cultures about how and when you talk to authority. Uh, that's very severe in Asian cultures. They they are very reluctant to talk to authority, um, mm-hmm. and we're a little bit more okay with that in in our Western culture. So mm-hmm. some of it's cultural, and also sometimes it's the culture of the organization. If a, if an organization creates a culture in which transparency is a valued uh, commodity, and that's it's re, it's respected and 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 sought after is very different than, you know, having a culture of, of you don't tell, you don't say anything negative to the boss because they can't take it, and that can become part of the culture too. So there's obviously different variables that go into that, and, and a lot of times it's, it's the, the confusion I mentioned before between positive red and negative red, and, and, then, and then how to do the positive red. In a constructive way. How do you give constructive criticism? Or or a lot of talk lately, right, about courageous conversations. That's a a red thing.
1: Mm -hmm. I gotcha. Okay, awesome. I just wanted to, because I know that that a lot of executives get exasperated, and you and I talk with them all the time. Why won't people just tell me this stuff to my face? And why do I have to do a survey or 360 to actually (laughs) learn this stuff? Yeah, well, because... Um, so, we were talking about how, this whole notion here when you talk about how to stay our best selves and being being in balance. So, one of the things that certainly strikes me is that apart from having someone like us to, to work with someone, a coach or whatever, how can we recognize that if we're out of balance among the, the three dimensions you talk about? How could Is there a way for us as individuals to become aware or in tune with that?
2: That's a great question, and... Uh, it's almost rhetorical, if you may um, the uh, because like we we already talked about sometimes we're the last person to know that we're out of balance, yep. and in those cases uh we may need to use the environment to tell us so my my wife may have to tell me that you you seem to be distant today or or boy you're you're in a bad mood and i uh or so sometimes we need the environment. Especially if it's a safe environment to give the feedback because again we 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 have naturally have uh all have egoic defenses and and blind spots um the other is 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 pain um, uh and and slash feelings is another way of telling when we get out of balance uh, there's something heavy about the energy uh, as I call it below the line um, once again if if you're Uh, listeners are interested there's a graphic called the relationship circle they can get from the website and it has a nice graphic and I have above the line which is the three dimensions in their positive form and that's how I define emotional intelligence it's the emotional intelligence to me is firing positively on all three at the same time and uh... whenever we get out of balance or get stuck in one of them we will get thrown out of balance and when we do that, there's a kind of a more of a heaviness. Now, for those people who are more attuned to how they're feeling, they can know that. Some other people aren't very tuned into themselves, so they may not know it. The only way they'll ever know it is someone tells them. Um, and uh, but for for other people who are more tuned in, they can go, "Wow, I'm really aggravated. Okay, that means I'm negative red. So uh, if I'm negative red, I want to look." To see what I need to balance, how I need to balance myself uh, by going more to the blue or the yellow. Um, so, or I'm, I'm depressed, or I, I came out of a meeting and my energy... Uh, here, let, me, let me give you a quick example. One time I was uh, doing a selection job uh, helping them, and, and the company... Unfortunately, they always do this. Uh, they they hired a person, then asked me to put him through the selection process, which didn't make any sense. Uh, yeah. The guy looked perfect on paper. His test results were spectacular. I went into the meeting with him. At my energy level was like a nine, and I left the meeting. He said answered every question the right way, and I left the meeting with my energy level at three. And I'm going, what the heck just happened? Uh, it turns out they fired him like a month later because he was he was such a bad employee. Um, so in that case, I felt myself uh, collapsing. And um, and uh, so if we can feel ourselves getting irritated, or if we get depression or sadness is, is the blue piece, or or emotionally numb is the yellow, then then we can do what I call working the triangle, which we could. Talk about sometime, hopefully before we finish. Um, but th- th- those are the the ways I could think of of knowing it. Um, if is either either from someone telling us or us sensing it.
1: Okay, um, I want to first also acknowledge what you said about the idea of what in, in emotional intelligence is is firing at all three. Like you said, I think that is such a crisp way to get that because people say what's they, they're always asking, "What do you mean emotional intelligence?" And what you just said there, I think is. Will probably help a lot of people put this whole thing in a perspective.
2: Let me let me uh, give, give you an example. For example, of a of a really emotionally intelligent leader is someone yeah. who's going to be Im- connecting with other people. They, they, that's the blue. Remember, blue is about merging. It's connecting. People feel heard. There's empathy. Uh, mm-hmm. There's respect. That's all blue. And yet, Mm -hmm. at the same time, they're not a pushover. You're not going to mess around with uh, an emotionally intelligent person because they're going to be responsive to any kind of assault. They're going to protect themselves and they're going to tell the truth for the good of whatever the good is, whether it's for the good of the company or the good of the team. And then they, at the same time, they have the yellow piece, which is they're measured. Uh, They they are objective. Uh, They're careful. They're not reactive. Uh, they can hold their feelings as long as they need to, uh, need to without acting them out, and when you put all three of those things together, you've got one heck of a leader um, mm-hmm. and and that 's when I do workshops on emotional intelligence, um, I help uh, everyone takes the uh, the little test I mentioned and they work on the piece that they need to work on to bring themselves more into balance and then to that next level of emotional intelligence.
1: Mm, Gorgeous. And believe it or not, we're already at our next break, but I want to acknowledge just how compelling that is. And I hope what this is also doing for our listeners is giving them hope that they too can continue to develop their emotional intelligence. So very, very compelling. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Dr. Sam Alibrando, who is a psychologist, author, speaker, teacher, workshop facilitator, collaborative mediator, organizational consultant, and executive coach. He's also the author of The Three Dimensions of Emotions, Finding the Balance of Power, Heart, and Mindfulness in All Your Relationships. He joins us today from Pasadena, California. After the break, we're going to talk more about that triangle and really how this stuff shows up in the world of leadership and organizations today. Stay with us.
0: us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Dr. Sam Alibrando, who is a psychologist, author, speaker, teacher, workshop facilitator, collaborative mediator, organizational consultant, and executive coach. He is also the author of The Three Dimensions of Emotions, Finding the Balance of Power, Heart, and Mindfulness in All Your Relationships. He has another book out before that called Follow the Yellow Brick Road as well. Um, quite, Quite interesting collection there. We've been talking a bit about, um, well, not a bit, but quite a bit about his work here over the last two segments here. For this last segment here, if we can, Dr. Alibrando, I wanted to have you kick off. You you told us about this interpersonal triangle. If you would say more about that, and go ahead, and if you would, tell the listeners what is the URL they can find it at as well.
2: Sure. The, um, the, the, I, I like the model just as a conceptual model, but it's actually very practical, uh, and it's a thing I call working the triangle. And the, the the essential principle of working the triangle is not what you're doing that's negative that's important. It's what you're not doing that's positive. So hmm. the place to focus on is not what you're doing that's negative. It's what you're not doing that's positive. I tell the story in the book of a of a person I call Miguel. He 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 was the CEO of uh, uh, of this. Um, 10 million, it was about a $100 million uh, service organization. And he had this thing, uh, he was brilliant, brilliant man, and he, he, but he kept really poor boundaries. He, he would get involved in everybody's stories and, and, and was telling stories. He just had really awful boundaries, which was a negative blue. And then when he didn't get his way, he would actually literally have temper tantrums. He would yell and scream and all kinds of things like that. And basically, he couldn't get along with his partners, and, and, and even the support staff was afraid of him. Um, and, and here's how you work the triangle. It's not that what you're doing that's negative. It's what you're not doing that's positive. So negative, he had poor boundaries. He had temper tantrums. What wasn't he not doing? He wasn't doing yellow. He wasn't doing the self-control part of being a, a grown-up. He wasn't, he wasn't controlling his emotions. He wasn't watching himself uh, objectively. And so what we did in our executive coaching was to help build yellow muscles, help him build yellow skills. And what happened was when he did that, he then modified the other two. And he came more into balance, and people were able to relate to him. He became, if you may, a little bit more emotionally intelligent. And, and, and that's how you work the triangle. And at any given time, you're going to be working on a different, uh, a different uh, dimension, uh, but always with the idea of bringing yourself into balance. Um, so, and we can we can tell which where where to go by where how we're reacting. If if I am cutting off and I'm doing a negative yellow, then I need to think about a positive red I might need to do, or a positive blue I might need to do to bring me into balance. Does that does that mm. make sense?
1: It does, and it's so crisp and useful and applicable. And I think our listeners are going to eat it up. Um, yes, that helps tremendously, and I think we all could recognize people that we've known that maybe fit a pattern like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you? Is there a URL that they can visit? You mentioned the survey. Is there a particular place you should send them to take the survey? Do you well, want to I, tell them?
2: Yeah, I, I, have a, I have a couple of websites, of course, uh, but the book website is where these resources are. Um, it's it's um, power-heart-mindfulness.com is the is the URL. And when okay. they go there, there's a couple places they can click on the uh, interpersonal triangle. Um, And again, it's free. And and then there's also the relationship circle, which is a really nice graphic that they can download as well.
1: Okay, great. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, so the last example you gave is in part about a person, an individual starting to recognize with the help of of a coach where they're at and how they can develop some emotional intelligence. How can we use these three dimensions of emotions or movements to handle difficult people, especially at work?
2: Ah. Great question. Um, here are my first three principles. I have three principles of handling difficult people. Principle number one is when, when managing a difficult person, manage yourself first.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. The
2: second principle is manage yourself first. And the <laughs> third principle is... Manage, Manage self first. first. Got it. <laughs> right. So the, my whole idea is that they're not difficult if you are if you're in your sweet spot and you're functioning, you are know, firing on all three positive. Then it's just something a person you have to deal with. A, a difficult person is anyone who makes me into a difficult person, uh, and in other words, throws me out of balance. So the idea is, that when I get thrown out of balance, uh, let me work the triangle. So I, I worked with this woman who, uh, with a company, and she was a red. She was a lioness. She was powerful. And every time we would get together to talk about what we're going to do with the client, i walk in with my ideas, and i always walk out with hers. Uh, I, was very, I became very blue around her. And so she was a difficult person for me. Uh, and then one day I realized I've practiced the work in the triangle. I knew I had to go in red. I knew I had to go in with my talking points and I had to stick with them. And I, at this time I intentionally did that. And it brought me into balance. And we ended up having a very constructive conversation. Now, not every difficult person can be managed that way. Some people are for all different kinds of reasons, but I would say more often than not, if we manage ourself, uh, we work our own triangle, we find the sweet spot, uh, we will be in the best position to work with uh, people who tend to be difficult. And a difficult person is just another way of saying someone who's out of balance. Um, mm-hmm. Either by being mm-hmm. passive or being angry or whatever the way they manifest um, their imbalance—that's what mm-hmm. makes them difficult.
1: Hmm. So I thought it'd be kind of interesting to try to paint a picture because I'm guessing that a lot anybody who's listening to this is going to go, "Okay, I recognize that." But when you think about when a leader is is out of balance in an organization. What might we notice? What's like? What's what? What's happening? What kind of activities? What kind of behavior is happening?
2: Well, what, what's what's happening? Maybe another way to say also is what's not happening. Right, a, okay. An emotionally intelligent leader is going to motivate people. Uh, we we work harder for an emotionally intelligent boss than we do for a boss who's not. So true. It, and 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 we don't even do it with a grudge. We do it because we we want to. It, 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 so there's a contagion, right? There's the work of um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember his name right now. Uh, he, he he talked about uh, Goldman. The, the,
1: oh sure, Daniel Goldman, right, Daniel? Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. And he he talks about how our limbic systems communicate with other people. So we're if we're nicely integrated, we are going to uh, make people one, feel safe. And second, we're going to be motivating them. Uh, so we're going to we're going to create an atmosphere when that. So when a person's imbalanced, the opposite happens. Communication breaks down. People are, are unmotivated. Uh, people become passive aggressive. We already there's studies after studies, and you know this that with with healthy leaders and a healthy culture, there's less people calling sick less often. There's less accidents. Uh, there's higher productivity. So. You get the very opposite when you get a, 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 um, a leader who is, is um, out of balance, uh, and they, they, they do the very opposite of, of what we want to see happen. Um, and um, that, that's why what we do is so important. Uh, um, um, uh, I often say that soft skills used to be a hard sell. Uh, because most companies didn't want to invest time, money, or resources to developing its people. They, they put money into equipment or they put money into uh, one more business plan um, uh, or mission statement instead of uh, putting it into their leaders and then, and then also having high-functioning teams as well. So that's that's what you get when you 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 have people who are imbalanced.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that, and and carrying it over one step further because you talked about how this stuff manifests into culture and engagement and motivation. One of the things that you said on the phone too, I think, is where we got this. Is you, you mentioned something about healthy workplace awards, which of yes. course we've all heard something about. But do companies actually compete for these awards?
2: Yes, yes. Um, the, the American Psych Association uh thinks more broadly of psychology than just clinical just working with clients they 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 think of it in many different arenas and one area that they've committed to is 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 not just healthy people but healthy workplaces and so they organize a program in which companies are um um volunteered or people uh, recommend them and then we would have a team of people come in and do some assess you know, kind of do some interviews, and on on some a couple different scales, and then um, and, and then uh, uh, awards will be given out in different categories, so non profits and small versus big companies, that kind of thing, but, and more just the br- the real purpose of that was just to bring to awareness to how important uh healthy workplaces are and and then they've they've also done a lot of studies showing how healthy workplaces are like we just said actually more productive uh they're they're actually uh, have a a much better top line and bottom line
1: uh, mm-hmm. And some reason time. to invest resources in it because we get to results. Totally get that. Okay, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if like if somebody if there was like or somebody notices this stuff and then somebody nominates a company or if this is something that organizations actually subscribe and try to put resources into to improve. I just wasn't sure where the direction came from.
2: They're generally nominated, uh, and they're usually done uh, state by state. So I was on the the committee for California. So if any of your listeners are interested, they can, they can contact uh, American Psych Association uh, if they have someone to volunteer, or they think their, their organization is a, is a pretty good example of a healthy workplace.
1: Okay. Awesome. Well, we are coming to a closer already, and I always like to be able to give my, my guests, the, if you will, the last word, Dr. Ali Brando. So you know that this program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work. So final pearls of wisdom you want to pass on to our listeners
2: when we can function in that sweet spot when we're firing on all three uh, that that's when I think we're 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 the most alive when we're the most vital uh, and so whether whether we're a parent or whether we're a you know, CEO of a Fortune 100 company uh, or uh, whatever when we when we can get and live in that spot more and more, uh, we, we're, we have, we're pretty uh, um, fulfilled in, at that point. Um, and so it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing to want. Like I said, the um, soft skills used to be a hard sell. Hopefully more and more companies are going to invest in developing emotionally intelligent leaders and teams for the reasons we already talked about, not to mention purposeful life, right? purposeful work.
1: Mm-hmm. Which of course, as you know, is music to my ears. And and so certainly, right, I think one of the one of the ways that we as as consultants, you know, help help companies understand that is that we can help them map over and see where they're lacking important results because their organization isn't working effectively, productively. Yeah. Right. Um, their people aren't motivated or engaged. Um and, and that's where it becomes a really interesting conversation I know for both of us. And 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 I have been very intrigued with emotional intelligence for years. Uh, and you've today really I think helped us, at least certainly for me, just better get my arms around the whole topic. So I've, I've really appreciated how crisp you've been, how compelling you've been. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today.
2: It's been my pleasure.
1: I'm glad you were findable. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to learn more about Dr. Sam Alibrando or the work he's been doing and the, and the work that he's done in this book, he, he mentioned the website earlier, but it's power heart. HyphenMindfulness.com. encourage you to take a look out there um, some interesting resources and certainly the, the survey I think is quite interesting I'll be taking it myself For next week's conversation, we'll be on there with Millie Brown, who is the founder and CEO of Brown Books Publishing. She'll be sharing her story of how she and her team are doing their part to disrupt the publishing industry to keep it alive while serving authors in what's called a relationship publishing approach. Promises to be very interesting. So see you next week. Remember that work is one-third of our lives, so let's work
0: on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working On Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.